Welcome to How We Work, a podcast about the very real and very human dynamics that shape the way we work. I'm your host, Mike Lovett, and this week we are talking about fixing performance management in a new world of work. And to do that, I am joined by one of the featured speakers of Work Human Live. He is the managing director of Semica Partners, the author of The Feedback Fix, the host of the podcast, I Wish They Knew with Joe Hirsch, and a very heartbroken Philadelphia 76ers fan. Please hey. welcome Joe Hirsch. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. It's great to be reminded about how my team is no longer playing in contention for the NBA championship. I'm so sorry, but as they say, there's always next year. Yeah, we've been saying that for about 25 years now. So. Uh, as a Red Sox fan, I know that pain, or at least I used to as a kid, but I've been on a little bit of a roll lately. Always next year. But we're not here to talk about heartbreaking sports, though we could all day long. We're here to talk about how we fix feedback. Specifically, how do we mold feedback at work in a world where people are working all over the place, this idea of going to work is out the window. So I guess to start, where are we? How would you diagnose feedback or performance management as it stands now? So I think feedback has made a comeback. Okay. I think that the companies that I've worked with, the organizations I speak for, they are getting it right when it comes to feedback because they recognize it is not just about messaging mm -hmm. the what of feedback. Is it fair? Is it specific? Is it accurate? But they've now focused more time and attention on the mattering of feedback, not just the what, the so what, the now what. And from that shift from messaging to mattering has come a whole host of benefits. People are having more candid, caring, collaborative conversations more of the time. Even if they're not in person, people are still feeling more connected as a result of that. The focus on not just what is the work that is being done, but how do people feel while they're doing it? And ultimately, I think it bodes very well for performance management because people recognize that without relationships, feedback is just a report. Yeah, talk about what are the ripple effects of that? When you do get into the mattering, when you do get into the so what, what does that lead to? Because development springs to mind. Now people are not maybe getting in their heads, but they're seeing a path forward. It's not... There's a lot of negativity sometimes surrounding feedback, but there is positive aspects to it. There's growth opportunities. So what can employers and employees gain out of this new age of feedback, this comeback of feedback? Yeah, I think the first opportunity is a return to authentic conversation. And for Novel a lot of people, idea. I know, right, wouldn't it be great <laughs> if we could just actually talk to people about what was actually going on rather than dodging and disguising. Mm -hmm. And that's been one of the real benefits of this return to authenticity because people now are having real talk about real issues. And that has shaped the way that people understand how they do their work and also how they can improve and grow as a result of the work that they do. So authentic conversations are fantastic. That's been one big benefit. The other is a, a real resurgence in empathy. There's much more empathy in the workplace. And that is not just a function of understanding how people feel. Empathy is, I think, broader than that. It is recognizing people for who they are. 
And when we honor the expertise and skills and experience that people bring to the table, we're having much more unique and deep relationships with people at work. And it's not just about the work that they're doing, but it's that they are seen for who they are as they do that work. And that affects the feedback because when you talk to people about their performance, unless you really know what they need at this point in their career, career journey, career development, you're not going to be tailoring the feedback appropriately. So there's some really interesting research on the impact of feedback on various levels of expertise. So you have your experts and you have your novices, and they want different things out of feedback. It's not one size fits all. In fact, one size fits none. Mm -hmm. So for experts, they want progress. They want to know that they're moving forward. And so feedback has to be more focused on clarity and candor. That's what they want. By moving forward in the path that I've been on, for novices, it's, it's really different. It's about reassurance. It's not about how's the path. It's am I on the right path even? Mm. And they want coaching and they want context and they want to have that hand-holding experience. And the feedback also has to be aligned to fit that particular need. So empathy is knowing not just how someone feels, but who are these people? And if we do that, the authenticity and the empathy, that's a much healthier feedback culture, which I've seen and I think can continue. And to bring it back to basketball, one thing that we were talking about in our intro call is the book, The Culture Code, yeah. which gets into Greg Popovich, head coach of the San Antonio Spurs. And a lot of his players bring up that exact thing is he finds exactly what each player needs, where they are to help them grow. And coaching, it clicks for me in a very real way. It feels ongoing. And one of the things that we've talked about with feedback is frequency yeah. and the timing of it. And it is not something that should be, Greg Popovich is not checking in at the preseason, okay, what do you need? And then never talking to that player until the season ends. It is an ongoing thing. They are making adjustments as they go. And how does that translate to the business world? Where, what is frequency? How does that play into the power of feedback? So different organizations have different cadences for these conversations, but the real factor is not just how often it's happening, but how well is it being done? And that's where you get into the mechanics of feedback. And it is a science, it's also an art, but ultimately it's about making sure that the message is clear, is candid, is compassionate, and ultimately is collaborative. And I've built out some tools to help people do that. But the overall goal of feedback is to leave people feeling restored, renewed, not depleted and discouraged. And if we're good about that and we talk to people like they're people and we have these conversations on a more regular basis, we address that. We also eliminate a lot of the drag on feedback, which, you know, the longer we go without having these conversations, the less likely we are to remember them, mm. right? And so then it becomes literally your view versus my view. <laughs> and when we pit two views against each other like that, usually just one view prevails. Mm -hmm. And that's the view of the giver, the person who has the power, who has the position, it's your manager, it's your boss. That isn't a great place to be because that's the feedback of fear. That's not the feedback of joy. And if we could just be a little more open about these conversations and frequent in the delivery, then we're going to be on the same page with people. And now it's no longer me pushing my view and selling my view on you. It's us having a conversation about events on a regular basis. It flows with the rhythm of work. 
It is accounting for all the various parts of that process of the of the moments that brought us to this point. And ultimately, it leaves us feeling like we can actually have a more constructive conversation based on facts, not just feelings. And it takes away some of the the buildup, a little bit of the stigma. If it is just once a year, God, the pressure builds and builds and you feel like you need to get it all out right there because there's no other opportunity. It's ongoing. It becomes routine. You don't feel that same pressure. And like you were saying, it feels more natural. It's just authentic communication and yeah, seeing the path to grow. Now, I want to talk about, you've made the case on our website that managers should shift from window gazing or telling others what you see to a strategy of mirror holding or helping others see for themselves. Could you talk a little bit about those definitions and the shift in mindset that people might need to have? Yeah, so window gazing is a process of telling and selling, like mm-hmm. we were talking about a moment ago. It's when two people are standing at a window and they're looking at what they see and one person sees one thing and another person sees another, and that's fine right? Because we are all entitled to our own opinions and our own positions. The problem is when you throw that into the context of work, because now there's just one person whose view is going to prevail. And that's the gazer's view the person with the power, the person with the position. And then feedback becomes hierarchical. It's not a partnership model. And that's where naturally people become defensive, disagreeable. And that's when ultimately they push back because no one wants to feel like they're being forced to do something. We all have an innate human desire to set our own course, do our own thing and live our lives. And when we feel like people are interfering with that, in this case, the message about ourselves and our work, we feel threatened. And whenever that happens, we become defensive, oppositional. We become very disagreeable people. And that's why so many times feedback goes off the rails. Mirror holding does the opposite. Mirror holding is not about forcing a view on someone. It's about provoking an insight. And when I hold a mirror up to you, Mike, my view doesn't even matter. The job of the mirror holder is simply to hold the picture up for the other person to see it more clearly, more coherently, and for that person to then be able, with that awareness, to do something with that information. So rather than forcing a view, I'm provoking an insight, And the view that the receiver has as the recipient of that picture is a much more powerful and productive view. We've conducted a lot of research over the last year as work has gone more hybrid and really trying to see how is this affecting how people work, how people collaborate, how people connect. And what we're finding is hybrid workers seem to be in an advantage. They're getting a little bit of the remote, so they're getting the flexibility. They're getting an advantage in terms of connection. They are one of the most overworked or they feel the most stressed because they feel like they need to be on. How do leaders be mindful of that, of the pressures that hybrid workers can feel, establishing a connection with remote workers who often feel least connected? We found that they feel more negative around change. They don't weather it as well as they might have. And so I don't know feedback probably fits into this somehow, but really in terms of just building connection with people in a hybrid world, what are the adjustments that need to be made? What do leaders need to be conscious of that they might not have had to prior to the pandemic? Yeah, I think it's important for leaders to approach work, especially today with greater humility and curiosity, because work is more interconnected than ever before. And it's less visible than ever before, because a lot of work is happening offline. So managers naturally don't see it. And who is responsible for the work is also less clear because there are more hands touching it. And so because of that, one way that managers can bridge this digital divide is by actually approaching with a learning mindset, 
and asking the person on the other end of that conversation, so tell me about something that's been going great for you right now, rather than telling the person what they think. Mm. And when you do that, you open up a conversation rooted in strengths, which goes against the fear factor of most feedback conversations, but more importantly, is going to give you insight into what is going on in the world of this person at the moment. And so when they start talking about the things that are happening for them and why they're proud of it, you as a manager now have more insight and information about that. And that's very valuable. And it gives you more intel, more data to work with as you continue to reach out and engage your workforce, whether they are in the office or not. You have more understanding of the work that is being done, of why it matters to people, and ultimately who's involved in that process. And with that information comes understanding, and with that understanding comes connection. And ultimately, that's what people are missing now. When they're not in the office, a sense of connection. And when they feel connected because of the work that is being discussed and that they feel like that information is out there, they're more likely to feel like they're a part of something rather than far from something. And I think with a lot of this conversation, it's like, okay, yeah, good. But there is a very real business impact. It is not just like you're going to make people feel great about the work that they're doing. That's going to translate. So could you talk a little bit about the broader impact of morale, of business, of community when you do start to shift this gaze, when it is habit to have these conversations regularly? So there's a host of benefits. First of all, there's an immediate difference on the bottom line because there's greater productivity, there's greater morale, there's higher levels of engagement, and WorkHuman has uncovered a lot of this research. But from our own lived experience, we know how it feels when we feel connected to something, when we feel like we're owners, not visitors, right? We, we feel like we are part of this, we're responsible. That's a fulfilling thing. And that fulfillment brings greater engagement. So immediately you see that return on investment of time. Beyond that, people just feel happier at work. They're in a place where they are seen and heard and recognized and praised. Because praise pays. It really does. <laughs> That's the title of the episode. It really, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it really does. And when people feel like they're a part of something, they want to be more a part of that thing. And then the last part has to do with the interactions that we have with our colleagues. Nothing strengthens work like knowing that the person standing beside you has your back. And we've all been in situations where we've not felt like that, right? And where we feel like the person standing beside us is looking over our shoulder, ready to catch a mistake and not there to support us when we slip. And when people are happier and engaged and are doing work together, you have a feeling of shared success that it's not just individual heroics, but it's the result of courageous ensembles. It's people working together, marching together to that beat of work, to that shared purpose and understanding around work. And that's what makes work feel a little bit less like work. Yeah. Now, as you said before, you've been working with companies to help them fix these I don't want to call them issues, but they fall into these common pitfalls. The standard practices feedback. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about, and you mentioned it before, feedback is having a comeback. Could you talk a little bit about where it was when you started and what that evolution has looked like as you've done this work, especially as we go through a pandemic, as we go through issues of systemic racism and oppression that brought into the workplace for the first time? How have you seen that shift? And when you look forward, what do you see as potential for these companies? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even call it feedback. I call it feed forward for that exact reason. Feed forward was a term that was coined by Marshall Goldsmith. It's the focus of my book, The Feedback Fix. And what we did is we, we took a concept that was basically a, a meet and greet, right? A way to de-ice conversations and have quick feedback and look at the science and the strategies that underpinned it. And feed forward is all about looking forward at a future that people can change and control rather than back on a past that they can't. And it's focused on strengths and it's powered by partnership. And feed forward, when I started this work five years ago, it was a term that not many people were familiar with. And certainly the practices were not very common. Feedback happened infrequently. It was powered by fear and loathing, not by partnership. And it certainly was not the function of humility or curiosity. Managers were focused on imposing their will rather than willing others to see what should come next. With this change in mindset and in message, more companies, more teams are having continuous, courageous conversation about not just what is happening, but what needs to be happening next. They are putting the power back in the hands of the people closest to the problem, the people on the other side of that conversation who are now closest to the solutions. And ultimately they have done the real work of feedback, which is to leave people feeling like more of themselves and not less. And all that is very encouraging because there's a recognition now that we just can't force people to do things. I mean, I guess we could, but then that's not much of a workplace. That's a prison. And we don't want we don't want our workplaces to feel like that. We want our workplaces to feel like people can show up and be their best, fullest, most authentic selves, do their best work. And in order to do that, we need to let them go lightly. We need to give them more autonomy, more ownership, a deeper sense of fulfillment and greater control over not just what's happening, but what should happen next? Yeah. Courage was a word you just said. Vulnerability is another term that we've heard a lot this week. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that, a vulnerability, and especially for managers and people leaders, what being vulnerable and, and being courageous and what you talk about, what that can lead to in these conversations. One of the clearest ways that the research has shown that people can have these kinds of conversations is for the leader to model it from the start. And when it's a leader-directed behavior, the leader showing that he or she is vulnerable enough to ask for feedback, to ask to be called out on mistakes and missteps, that's when it gives permission to everybody else in the workplace to do the same. So leaders do play a very important role here, but we can't always wait for our leaders to show us the way. Sometimes we have to show them. And that's why I really encourage people to ask for feedback in a way that suits you and gives you what you need at a time and on the terms that are best for you. And so by you asking someone a very simple question, what is one thing that I can improve on today? It compacts the feedback, so it's no longer the kitchen sink. It's one thing, and we can do one thing, and someone can tell us one thing. And so feeling vulnerable enough to ask that question actually makes you more powerful. That vulnerability is your strength. And when you're able to put aside the ego and look at the growth, that's where we really turn the corner in our performance, both as leaders, leading teams, and as individual contributors helping to make something better for the organizations that we serve. 
Vulnerability is no longer seen as a weakness. Vulnerability, I think, is an indispensable strength. And it's the people who don't have that vulnerability that I think are the ones that we ought to worry about. Because when people feel like they're too good or too proud to ask for feedback, to seek guidance on how to become a little bit better, because we all can, that's when I worry about the state of feedback, but more importantly, the state of work. Yeah, big time. Now, one thing, let's say for a listener that might be in a place where feedback is not in this perfect place that we have described it, what is one thing a company or a leader can do immediately to start on a better path toward more authentic conversation to more vulnerable conversations. Have you found one thing clicking with people most often? Yeah, people really like something I call a feedback wrap, Mm. like the sandwich, but the opposite of the praise sandwich actually, because the praise sandwich has so many problems. It's not the praise, it's the sandwich. Right. But the wrap does, and it stands for what and where, reason, affect, and prompt. That rap has people talking at issues, not around them. The conversations are more candid, they're more collaborative, and ultimately they bring greater clarity. And it's pretty straightforward. You talk about what's happening and where it's happening. You let people know the zip code, the destination for the feedback, rather than just approach with a general, can I give you feedback and wait for their mind to start racing and bracing for the other shoe to drop. Tell them what you want to talk about. Give them the reason for that. And the reason you want to give the reason is because you want to show you care. Not just because people need certainty and not just because people generally are self-unaware, but people want to know that they matter and that their work matters. So give the reason for that. And then affect. Stop pointing fingers and approaching with, you did this. Instead, shift to, I felt this. Because people can argue with what we say, but they typically don't argue with how we feel. So when we shift from errors to efficacy, and when we move from blame to contribution, and we create a space for people to reflect on the larger impact of their actions, that's a safer place for feedback. And then finally, the most important part of the rap, the P, the prompt, end by asking with an ask for their next steps. What do you think we should do next? Where do we go from here? What are your thoughts on where we should go? Because when people get feedback like that, and it's in this container that's caring and collaborative and ultimately candid, people understand that they matter because my manager cares enough about me and believes enough in me to actually tell me what's going on and wants my opinion on what to do next. That's a conversation that people can stomach. That's the opposite of a prey sandwich where you end up hating yourself (laughs) when it's over. It feels good in the moment, but you haven't really served anybody. The rap gives leaders and individual contributors for that matter, an opportunity, a path for a very specific conversation that doesn't pull punches, that leaves people feeling restored, whole, seen, heard, and ultimately empowered to act. Yeah, feeling valued. Exactly. Like what you do matters. Now, I want to talk about your podcast, I Wish They Knew. You talk to your guests about big ideas that they wish they knew. For our listeners, what are some of those episodes that stick out to you that you wish they knew so we can get some cross-pollination and they can go check out your work? I will always reflect very highly on my conversation with Amy Edmondson. Uh, We had a wonderful talk on psychological safety. That was really fantastic. Derek Irvine joined us uh, not too long ago. We talked about the power of recognition. So keeping that that in the work human family. We've had a range of leaders, best-selling authors, Fortune 500 executives, 
educational reformers who are sharing the ideas that they wish others knew. And I think that all those ideas, though Derek's and Amy stand out at the moment, all of those ideas are worthy of our attention because they help us live with greater intention. And if we all knew a little bit more, I think we'd be better off because in a world where everyone is so busy talking, wouldn't it be nice to know what other people are actually thinking? And so this show captures that in about the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee, about 10 minute conversations, you can catch big ideas that deserve more attention and not spend your entire day listening to podcasts, which I know some people do, but not everyone can. Yes. Curiosity is its own superpower. Joe, I want to thank you so much for joining me on How We Work. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you all for listening. Learn more about Joe's work, book his services, or buy his book at joehirsch.me. If you like what you're hearing, rate, review, and subscribe to this show for more stories, insights, videos, including one about psychological safety that we cite Amy Edmondson in. You can go to workhuman.com or follow us at workhuman on all social channels. This episode of How We Work was hosted and produced by me, edited and mixed by Rob Valois. We'll see you with a new episode in a few weeks. Bye-bye.